Well, again, good morning. Good morning. My name is George Davis, and uh, I want to welcome you to this service, whether you're in person or online. And I also want to thank you for helping us in our partnership with Love, Inc. as we address the needs of our community and just remind you, as she said, you can find that information uh, outside in the lobby if you'd like to participate. You can also find that list at our website, hfcinfo.com. So thank you for helping us with that. Two weeks ago, I was uh, on the phone with a friend of mine. He lives in another part of the country. And... um, He's in his early 60s. We were having a conversation. I'd followed up on an email that he'd sent me because he, he recently had a hard conversation with his employee. It went something like this. We think this year is the year you need to retire. And interestingly, we had, we'd actually had lunch together a few weeks ago in Chicago, and in the course of that conversation, I asked him about his plans, and as he talked about what he was thinking for the future, none of that included retiring this year. But things have changed. My guess is some of you have had those types of conversations before, right? It's, it's clear you're not a good fit. It's time for you to move on. Your position is being eliminated. And so we talked through all of this. We talked about next steps. Now, now whether you've had that kind of conversation or not, I think all of us, all of us know the experiences of having unexpected things happen to us. You lose your job. You're in a dating relationship where you think there's possibility, but the other person concludes it doesn't. You're a parent and your child or children hit a new season, and now you're just trying to gain traction as to how to engage them differently. You're a high school student trying to learn how to navigate certain friend groups and how to respond to certain people well. Over the last couple of years, all of us have experienced the reality of having things done to us and having changing dynamics around us. In fact, I'm sure for some of us, right now, it seems like due to things you're going through, all of your life is just about responding to others. Maybe things going on at work, things going on in certain relationships, things going on in your family. For some of us right now, it just feels like you are in full-blown reaction mode. You're having to react to these changing circumstances, these difficult circumstances, and that's what your life looks like. Now, I think in some sense, I think that may have been what it felt like for many of the early followers of Jesus Christ. We're currently in this series where we're kind of working our way through the letters of Paul in the New Testament. We're spending one or two weeks in each of his letters. And as we read these letters written to early churches, early Christian leaders, we've come to the letter known as Philippians, written to the church at 
the Greek city of Philippi, and it is one of Paul's prison letters, one of several letters that he, we know that he wrote from prison. And as you think about that ancient city in Greece, let me just show you a picture of the, this is the archaeological work that has been done there. And even though it was in Greece, this, this city carried the unique political s- status of being a Roman colony. In fact, evidence suggests that two of the temples here would have been dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperor. So when people became followers of Jesus, there were consequences. That, that commitment was out of step with the beliefs of the people around you, and it could affect work, family, relationships in the community. And I'm sure as Paul writes this letter to this church he deeply loves, for some of the Christians there, it, it kind of just had to feel like, well, you know what, now we're just having to react to all this stuff around us, all this stuff that's being done to us by employers, neighbors, friends. And this is where I think this letter gets very interesting and very fascinating. Because a recurring theme in this letter, and it's actually a theme you can find in other of Paul's letters, but it seems to be particularly acute in this letter, a recurring theme in his writing and guidance in this letter is this. Paul looks at this church and says, I want you to learn to think well. Interestingly, Paul makes reference to thinking and how we think in each of the chapters of this book. And and I I just perceive it, it's like Paul's writing these people he dearly loves and he, he... he says, look, I know your life's gotten complicated, and I know it feels like you're just, you're just constantly reacting to things out here, things in your environment, things being done to you, things you don't have any control over. But, but I, don't, I don't want you to simply react to what's going on out here. I want you to pay attention to what's going on in here as well. I I don't want you to simply react. I want you to reflect. Don't simply react externally. Pay attention to what's going on internally. Let me just give you one of the places where this comes out in the letter. You get to the end of the letter, kind of the final part of the letter, and it becomes clear there's been some conflict between two leaders in the church. So here's a a statement we read in chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, now notice this, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, I find this really interesting because, you know, as a dad in, in those situations where two of our sons were going at it, it's like, hey, get it together. Stop it. Cut it out. Work it out, right? I mean, th- those are the kinds of conversations we've had throughout the years as parents. But notice, Paul, it's not like he looks at them and said, look, you two need to cut it out. Just stop it. Notice what he says. I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to pay attention to how you are thinking. In other words, don't just react externally. Pay attention to what's going on 
internally. Now, arguably, this statement is looking back to something he's already alluded to earlier. I think he's, he kind of prepared us for this statement earlier in the letter. We go back to chapter 2. And notice what he says. Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and here, right, he's looking back and acknowledging God's work of transformation and the gift of the Spirit in their lives. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? (laughs) By being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, and notice again, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another, notice this, have the same mind or mindset as Christ Jesus. And that then leads to a very famous discussion of Christ's work, of the incarnation and Christ's work of redemption and Christ's example of humility and obedience. So Paul's saying, look, I, I want you to pay attention to how you think. Don't, don't just react, reflect. Don't just look outwardly, look inwardly. Learn to think well. And that's what he's encouraging this church to do. So let's just, okay, Paul says, he, he's talking about, I want you to be of one mind, but what exactly does that, what does that mean? I, maybe... Maybe more intentionally, what does that look like? What, what's this mindset he's talking about? What's this frame of mind that he's talking about? Well, there are many ways to describe it, and, but here's what I think Paul is getting at. What does this look like? It's a mindset rooted in the storyline of the gospel. <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness, what does that mean, Right? What do you mean rooted in the storyline of the gospel? Well, think about this for a moment. You you may not pay attention to this, but in so many ways, all of our lives are shaped by stories. I mean, just think about these questions. What in your past has made you who you are today? Right? What events have defined you Or where are you heading in life? What are your aspirations, your hopes, and dreams? You see, in a real sense, each of us have elements of life that give us meaning, purpose, direction. And those elements are are rooted in stories. You don't necessarily pay attention to this, but in so many ways, kind of how you are engaging life, even the things you're going to do this week are, are shaped by certain stories, stories that you use to make sense out of your life, stories of your past, stories of who you are, stories of where you hope your life is going. And that's just part of being human. So for instance, for some of us, I think our lives are deeply rooted in the past. For some of us, our our lives are deeply rooted in defining experiences, maybe even traumatic experiences. 
experiences that have shaped our lives and we're still dealing with and processing the consequences. For some of us, maybe there's kind of a decision, there was a trajectory your life took at some point that now you, you regret. You look back and wish you could go back and change that turn in your life, that decision in your life. And maybe under stress, it's like what, what you tell yourself, the story you tell yourself is that, you know, I'm always going to be stuck in the consequences of those choices. For others, even as we're influenced by the past, I think we're, we're leaning heavily into the future, right? Here are my goals. Here's what I'm working towards. And that, that defines and shapes your approach to life. So in some sense, all of us, all of us are shaped by stories. And so when Paul is encouraging these Christians to think well, to have this kind of shared mindset, he's saying, I want want your lives, I want your thinking to be shaped by the storyline of the gospel. I I want you to be shaped by the truth that you've been created in God's image. You've been made to know him. Now that relationship has been distorted by sin, but through Christ's work, you can be forgiven, restored, and transformed him. Through Christ's work, you're you're brought into a new relationship with God and your, your identity is now rooted in him. Through his work, you're brought into new community. You're brought into these kinds of relationships. Through his work, you receive his spirit who seeks to transform, equip, and empower you as a follower of Jesus. And through his work, he will one day return to complete his plan of renewal and restoration. And so Paul is looking at this church where, yeah, maybe things have, for many of them, gotten really complicated because they've decided to follow Jesus. And he's looking at this church where for some it had to feel like, oh my goodness, I just look at all this stuff that's happening to me, all of this stuff that's beyond my control. And maybe even in that situation, it's easy to say, look, I know, I'm, I know I'm worried or I know I'm kind of out of sorts. I know I'm not handling this well. But, you know, if this stuff were happening to you, you'd respond the same way. And Paul says, no. I, I want you to learn to think well. So that you're not simply reacting out here, but you're paying attention to what's going on in here. And as you learn to think well, I, I, want, you to, I want you to be shaped by this story of what God is doing. Yes, you're dealing with complexities, and that's now part of your story as well, but that's, that's not the only part of the story. At a deeper level, you've been brought into relationship. At a deeper level, God's spirit is at work. At a deeper level, Christ will be faithful to finish what he has started. So I want that to shape your thinking as you engage these situations that you really didn't anticipate or expect. Let me me just give you two examples of what this looks like in this passage or in this text. First of all, you go to chapter 3. 
Paul's talking about his past, and right? He talks about kind of all his past accomplishments. I mean, he was, he, was, he was an outstanding Pharisee. He was zealous. He exceeded other people in so many ways. His commitment was unparalleled. And in the midst of that, he even persecuted the church, and he acknowledges that in his letter. But he says, you know what? Now through Christ, I've kind of, I've discovered a new righteousness, I've discovered a new way to live. My life has been reoriented, and it's not, it's not based on my own achievement. It's now based on Christ's work. And he says, I know I've not fully arrived, but I continue to press into this journey of following Jesus. And then he says this. And he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, he's saying, look, as you think about what you're going through, I want, you, I want you to understand, you've been brought into the same story that I'm now a part of. And in being brought into that story, it's the story of God's faithfulness even in the midst of our brokenness. So maybe you have disappointing things in your past like Paul did in his Maybe there were wrong turns in your life like there were in his. I mean, he, he persecuted the church, but he says, look, I know that's part of my story, but at a deeper level, there's another dimension of the story at work. And that deeper dimension is I've been brought into relationship with Christ. And now I'm a work in progress. And in the way he describes it, I think it is an acknowledgement. It's, it's wonderfully pastoral because I think it is an acknowledgement that at times we get off the path. At times we make wrong terms. At times we do things that we will regret. At times we feel like I can't believe my life is here when I've been following Jesus this long and I'm still doing this over and over. But he says, look, forgetting what's behind, I press on. And he's saying, look, you've been brought into the same story. And this, this, needs to, this thinking needs to affect how you're engaging those circumstances. Let me just give you one other example uh, from this book. In chapter 3, even as he describes his own life and some of his life experience, he also describes certain people as opponents, We're not quite sure what they were doing or what they were teaching. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. But he describes them as enemies of the cross. So clearly they were a source of trouble for this church. So Paul critiques them. But then after critiquing them, this is what he says. He says, their mindset is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what he's saying. He says, look, their, their mindset is set on earthly things. And I think by that, among other things, he says, they're, they're living as if this life is all there is. And in the midst of this life being all there is, there, there are certain things that they choose to worship, certain things that they choose to prioritize that, that are really not central to God's ultimate plan. But he says, remember, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, just twiddle your thumbs because one day you're going to go to heaven, so we just kind of have to make do until we get there. No. What he's saying is, I want you to see what they don't see. And what you need to see is your life, your life is rooted in this bigger story of God who is being faithful to his promises. 
And you may, you may choose to give up prematurely because you don't see immediate results. You may choose to pursue earthly things because at this point in time, the Roman Empire seems so dominant and so powerful. But interestingly, isn't it, isn't it interesting that we can now look back and the Roman Empire simply certain pages in our history books, but the work of God continues. And so Paul is saying, look, I want, I want you to learn to think well. I want, I want your mind to be set in the wonder of this amazing story that you're now a part of. And I want that to guide your thinking as you respond to the situation around you. Now realize at this point, you, okay, George, that's, that's pretty heady. That's, it's pretty theoretical, isn't it? It's great, rooted in the story. But okay, so what does that look like? Well, I think... To Paul's credit, we get to the end of the book, and I think he really does give us some very concrete and powerful advice about thinking well. It's almost like he's, he's built this theme, right? He's built this theme of thinking well into the book, and we get toward the end of the book, and it's like here's some final instruction, which really is application, putting into practice this big theme. So what does it look like to put this into practice? What does it look like for this to be more concrete? I think we begin to see answers to those questions in the beginning of Philippians chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage. So what does this look like to put into practice? Well, kind of a first step that Paul emphasizes in his practical section is, I want you to rejoice. Notice what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. And then it's like, uh, by the way, if you didn't get it, I say it again, right? What I really want to emphasize, I repeat. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, my guess is for many of us, that's a very familiar passage. Maybe you've memorized that. And I would also say for many of us, over the years, as we've heard this in church, as we've heard it on a Sunday morning, it kind of feels shallow, doesn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. It can almost strike us as a platitude. Are we just think this is unrealistic. I mean, let's, let's just come back to what we prayed through earlier in the service. I mean, this is a, it's a heavy week in, in the life of our church family. I mean, we want to stand with Christian and his family, but But he's lost his wife, the mother of his children. He's lost his partner in ministry. And, you know, as, over the last few years, as they was getting ready, we got to walk this journey with them. And this we did not expect. 
So how on a Sunday like this can we read this passage and take it seriously? Well, I'm thinking through that and processing that. First of all, it really is important that we grieve. And it's important that we as a church family stand with Christian. And that's what we want to do. That's part of the reason Dave Hyatt went down last minute to be a part of what's going on down there. But I think in, in wrestling with Paul is saying here, even in our context right now, it's, it's important to understand what he, what he means by joy and rejoicing. Because here's the deal. I think sometimes we presume, you know what, the opposite of joy is sadness. And right now, is, how can you, I mean, this is a heavy weight. And the sadness is real. The grief is real. So how can there be joy? But even as Ray read parts of the passages from 2 Corinthians, I think it becomes clear that for Paul, there was sadness in life. And he talks about it just very transparently. There, were waiting, there was a weightiness to things that happened to him. And there was sadness and disappointment and at times even anxiety. He felt the weight of that and, and he fully acknowledges that. So I think part of taking him seriously is understanding that when Paul talks about this joy, the opposite of joy is not sadness because joy and sadness can come together. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. And even for Paul, he's writing and emphasizing this theme of joy when he's in prison. And he acknowledges, this isn't what I planned, right? None of us have, I want to go to prison on our bingo cards right now, right? That's not on your bucket list. And yet it was Paul's experience on multiple occasions, even as he writes part of the New Testament. So here's what he means by joy. It's not, hey, things are going perfectly. Isn't it rosy? Furthermore, when he talks about rejoicing, it's not, let's just pretend the hard stuff isn't happening. Let's just kind of walk past that, put a smile on our face, and just try to be happy. That's not what he's talking about. The joy he's talking about is more deeply rooted. And I think it's deeply rooted in two things, right? He says the Lord is near. It's deeply rooted in the reality God is with us. Even when we don't understand, even when we're hit like by things like this that we can't comprehend and we ask hard questions, he is with us. He's not afraid of the questions. And furthermore, he is at work. And even, even in the midst of a situation we don't understand, we pray for his work to continue just as you heard Ray praying for that region of Guatemala. And so this, this idea of rejoicing is deeply rooted in this truth that God is with us and that he is at work. And so even in chapter one, Paul, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I wasn't planning on being in prison, not on my bingo card, but I want you to know, here's what is happening. Even in the midst of these things that I did not expect, here's how God is at work. And so there's that, there's that reality of, of joy. 
The other thing that I would just highlight to you when Paul talks about rejoicing here is whenever we read passages like this, our tendency is simply to think of this in personal individual terms. And on one level, that's fine, but I would just let you know all the commands here are plural. As we would say in Texas, it is you all, right? And I think part of Paul's expectation in learning to think well is we're to be in community, we're to be in relationship, we're to, we're to be a family where we celebrate who God is together. And I mean, and I think sometimes that means I come into this place, you come into this place, and we're worn down and we're beaten down, and maybe we just stand during the songs because we can't even utter the words. And yet we're standing with other people who are able to sing, right? I want you to rejoice. Yeah, I know things have happened that you didn't expect. And it just feels like all you're having to do is just react to things beyond your control. But I want you to learn to think well. So I want you to, I want you to rejoice. And then very quickly, the, if you, as you work through the passage, let me just highlight two other things. Not only rejoice, but then release, right? What does Paul say as the passage continues? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice what is implied here. I think among other things, what is implied is there will be situations that you experience that are anxiety-inducing, right? Paul just assumes that, right? There are going to be things that happen to you, things you experience that internally just naturally create anxiety. So don't be surprised by that. And of course, particularly for this church, those were the things that resulted because they had become followers of Jesus. And I think when this happens, it's easy to develop habits of simply reacting and not reflect on what's going on internally. In fact, if you press some of us, we may even become defensive. Yeah, I know. You know what? I know I'm really worried, and I know I'm not necessarily handling this well. But again, if you went through what I'm going through, if you had done to you what's happened to me, that's where you would be as well. And hear me clearly. I I don't want in any way to minimize your life experience. But Paul still says, I want you to learn to think well. Don't simply react, reflect, pay attention to what's going on on the inside. Earlier this week, when I was kind of working through this passage with some others on our staff, I I just said, well, let's just think for a moment. What are the signs that we are reacting and not reflecting, right? What what are just some signs that I'm, I'm reacting to what's going outside, on outside, but I'm not really paying attention to what's going on on the inside? And here are just some things we talked about. Well, Leading with my emotions instead of paying attention to my emotions. Another thing, not paying attention to unhealthy patterns of thought that I've developed. So for instance, maybe in the midst of, of, of stressful situations, I, I kind of am I'm vulnerable to what some refer to as catastrophic thinking. I always presume the worst case scenario. And that always becomes consuming in my mind. And I never really wrestled with an unhealthy pattern of thought. Maybe I, I'm just critical all the time. 
Maybe I'm complaining, blaming, not taking responsibility. Those, those are signs that I'm just reacting, but I'm, I'm not reflecting on what's going on in the inside. I'm not learning to think well. And Paul says, look, when those stressors happen, I want you, I want you, to, I want you to bring them to God in prayer. And I think the expectation is that we're specific. Acknowledge what's going on. One author said, if it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. And I realized maybe, let me just kind of give you an action step because some of us, I think we're more tactile. Some of us, certain experiences uh, can help us do this well. And so if this might be helpful for you. Here's what, it's, it's a little silly, it's a little crazy, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you, you can use a box or you can use an envelope, just put God on it. Just put God on the envelope. And when you hit those moments, when you hit those points where there really is some situation, particularly a situation beyond your control, relationship, work, family, whatever, that is just an ongoing source of concern or anxiety, I just encourage you just to write that out on a three-by-five card and just kind of acknowledge how this is making you feel, what this is doing to you. Then I want you to put it in the envelope. Just kind of as, as a physical, tangible reminder, I am bringing this to God. This is outside my control. And the reality is, at times, you may have to go back to the envelope, pull out the card, look at it again, and put it back in. But to do this just as a reminder that in learning to think well, I'm presenting this to God. Paul says, I I want you to rejoice. I want you to release. And then he says, I want you to respond, right? You get to the end of this passage. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And he's talking about, you know, He's talking about positive virtues here. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, notice this, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now here's what I think Paul is getting at, right? At first he says, rejoice and celebrate. Just remind yourself that God is with you and God is at work. Then I want you to release it. I want you, as you go through these complexities and challenges, I want you to kind of bring these to God in prayer. Because you know he's at work, release these things to him and be honest and specific. And he says, be thankful because you know he's with you. And then I want you to wrestle with what it looks like to respond well to this situation. What does it look like to respond to this in a way that is true and right and admirable and to reflect on that and put it into action? And his ex- expectation is that we don't, we don't have to do this in isolation. We can learn from others as well. And often these become moments in the life of a church family where we need the input of other people. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what's beyond my control. I'm giving it to God in prayer, but could you help me think through what's the best way to handle this? Some of us, we're at that place in dealing with work stuff. Some of us, we're at that place in dealing with our parents or our kids. 
So are there, there are other people in your life that can help you wrestle? Here's, here's how to handle this well. Now in showing you, in showing you kind of this, I think, simple framework of, of rejoicing, releasing, responding, let me just kind of go back to my conversation with my friend because I think this is just kind of a great example of this at, at work, right? I mean, here's a guy. He had plans. Those plans aren't going to... Those plans are not going to unfold as he anticipated because his employer has now said, no, this is the year you are going to retire. And so we had a great conversation. And I think part of the reason, part of the reason he wanted me to know was he was just bringing certain friends that he had into this journey with him. And even as we talked, we talked about, you know, kind of God's faithfulness and the reality of, of God being at work. And we just acknowledged that. But we also talked about the anxiety. We, we kind of dealt with that release part because the truth is in this situation, it could have been handled differently. Candidly, it's a conversation that should have been handled, handled better than it was. And the truth is you can let certain dimensions of what he experienced just really irritate you, right? And, and to some degree with justification, he wasn't treated well in this process. And I could go into more detail to explain that, but just trust me on that, right? It, it could have been handled differently and you could get locked up in that. So in the course of the conversation, we just kind of talked through, well, what's it like to, to let that go? And he was just really honest with some of his concerns and frustrations. And it was just, it was just kind of a process of release. But we didn't stay there because we then, we then talked about next steps. You know, I said, hey, just tell me, so what are you thinking? What are you, you know, what? And, and interestingly, it seems like God, there's certain opportunities, maybe even for part-time stuff, some other things that he can get involved in. Some of that was already being put into place. We didn't realize the timing of it. And so he, he had already started those conversations. So in light of, right, acknowledging who God is, in light of kind of, kind of releasing the hurt and the frustration and the anxiety, we were able to talk about, hey, see, here's some next steps. And here's what that can look like. And, and I'm just confident as, as he continues moving forward that the God of peace is going to be with him. Even though 2023 is not what he planned. Even though 2023 is not what he expected. So maybe there's a situation in your life right now that is kind of like that. Where it feels like things are just being done to you at work and relationships and family. And all you can do is react. Maybe it is a source of ongoing frustration, disappointment, and worry. And all of that just seems normal because look at what's happening to me. What would it look like for you to put this into practice? Remember, Paul says, don't, don't simply react to what's going on on the outside. Pay attention to what's going on on the inside. Maybe even now, what you are going through is an opportunity to learn to think well. Let's pray together.
Father, as we, as we look at the letter of Philippians, in so many ways, it's a letter of people experiencing things they didn't expect. It's written by a guy in prison. And it's written to people experiencing surprising consequences of being followers of Jesus. And yet in the midst of that, Paul wants us to learn to think well. So right now, I, I just pray attention I pray specifically rather for those who are here watching online who are going through stuff where it just feels like it's just happening to me. And that's the end of the story. I pray they would just be open to what Paul is trying to teach us. I pray they would see this as an opportunity to learn to think well an opportunity to be more deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for praying with us about Christian and his family and to continuing to pray as we walk that journey with them. And as we go... Maybe there really is something right now that's an opportunity where you can learn to think well because you're reacting to some hard situation or circumstances. I just want you to know members, members of our prayer team are going to be here at the front and we want to pray with you about those things. Because wherever you're at, Paul wants you to know you're being invited into the story of what God is doing. And so if we can pray with you about what that looks like, we want to do that. So now as you go, hear Paul clearly. Don't simply focus externally. Pay attention to what's going on internally so that you learn to think well. Amen.